Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. Alongside me, actually, not really, he's a little far away because I am recording this remote. It's Mr. Jack Piatelli. Jack, how we doing? Good, Kyle. Looks like you're feeling better. I talked to you over the weekend and you were hurting and word on the street was you didn't get coal this year for Christmas. Uh, the coaches were actually kind to you this year. I actually got roasted by coaches a lot. Did so, you? Uh, yeah. yeah, you can't go down to Florida without a tan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to name names. Tufts coach Casey Donolfo asked me if I was going to be okay with <laughs> and if I had enough sunscreen. So shout out to that roast. Jack, someone had to do it if you weren't there, but you were there. So how'd you like it? I enjoyed it. The weather was great. A few of our players had an opportunity to play a high-level lacrosse. They did pretty well. And speaking of our next guest, Dave Evans and Dan Chouinard were also down there. Two great guys who have been wonderful ambassadors for the game and run one of the best programs in the country. Certainly one of the biggest in Massachusetts. I guess my, my first question is is for Dave because I don't know if you remember this, but I covered you when you played for the Cannons a lot. and. Uh I wrote a lot of articles about your shooting because you were an excellent shooter and I tried to emulate it and teach the way that you shot with, with power from your legs. Oh, I, I don't remember it, but that's just probably because I got hit in the head quite a bit while I was still playing. But, you know, like, I, I appreciate that because it's kind of like comes back to what we do and being able to reach out to all these young players coming up and continuing to teach the fundamentals at a high level. And just, you, I, I tried to utilize that. I was fortunate to be able to play in the MLL because it gave me a little bit more longevity in terms of, I guess, branding, if you will, because uh, I was a little bit older when the league started and I was able to get a couple years out of it. And I just, I used that to help continue camps and clinics at the time before club lacrosse really had exploded. Can you guys kind of tell me the origin story of Laxachusetts insofar as your involvement from, from both your angles? Yeah. So we st I started the program in 2004, 2005. At the time, it was the EMAS Minutemen. And uh, club lacrosse was pretty small. It was, we were probably only the seventh club in Massachusetts. And guys like Roy G. Russo, Brian Halidic, Rob Hill, John Galvin, Rusty Miller, Bobby Joyce, a lot of the guys from the South Shore, South Shore-based only. So we got started, and we wanted to be different, and we took the hockey model. I grew up playing hockey. I know, Jack, you grew up playing hockey. And there was so much focus on power skating and stick handling and, and that, that really wasn't in the lacrosse world yet. And we wanted to bring that skill development piece to it. And in addition to that, the challenge we had was convincing the players and the parents that they, they needed that, especially where on the South shore, there's pretty strong lacrosse in Massachusetts. So that spring, that 2000, so that spring we took the teams, the U11, U13, U15, the three teams down to Baltimore and played Baltimore Crabs, who at the time was the number one club program in the country, still one of the best in the country now. And uh, we lost every game by 25 goals. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and so by doing that, we actually showed the players and the parents how important the skill piece was and how much we had to do to catch up. And, and then from there, we became Massachusetts in 2010 when Mike Conley and Brendan Glass, who were running Massachusetts, which was only two teams, they had two high school teams. And at that time, Sean Morris was with me. He joined me in 2006. Dave joined me in the program in 2009. And so when Mike Conley and Brendan Glass said, hey, let's join these two programs and just bring all our resources together, it, it really created something special for the, for, the, for the club. So what was the first thing that you had to teach 
players from this region that you think made the biggest impact that wasn't necessarily being pushed in the high school? Like, is there a skill, a particular a drill, a, a something that really separated you guys when you started teaching it? What was one of the things, can you identify what that is? I, I, I think Dave would agree, stick skills, starting stick skills with both hands. At, as, at the youngest age. And we created a wall ball challenge to reinforce that. So obviously we wanted multi-sport athletes and we support multi-sport athletes so your kids can't come to skills all the time in the winter, especially with New England being such a big, so many kids playing hockey, probably two thirds of our kids play hockey. So with the wall ball challenge, we got the kids to play at home and they would earn a custom Massachusetts helmet. It wasn't something they could buy. So it was a pretty hard challenge. Dave actually was the one who put it together for us. and. What we found pretty quickly is just the, the hands and being able to catch the ball soft and, and put yourself in a position to either shoot or throw it immediately as well. We found a lot of our guys would, would snap at the ball as opposed to like get like you're catching an, an egg or the water balloon drill that you do sometimes. And, you know, that, that was a big part of that was getting those touches off the wall or a throwback because it, it really is repetition. It's the 10,000, 10,000 hour rule that we talk about. We cite it a lot in, in that proficiency and you, you, a lot of guys come to practice and they're like, are we playing today? And our comment is always like, yeah, we'll play as long as you guys don't miss any passes in warmups. And you know, that, that doesn't happen. So it's one of the things that we use to emphasize like the skill training throughout the winter because our, our, our skills are very fundamental based. We're not, we're not out there playing sharks and minnows and things like that. We're really emphasizing ground balls, passing, catching, shooting, and your fundamental dodging. Yeah. You guys really were the first to start that training in the wintertime. You've done a great job with your training. I had a question for you guys, for your coaches. You have so many coaches in your program, the men's and women's side. I know you spend a lot of time emphasizing what kind of coaches you want and what philosophy and wh who, who runs that and how do you train your coaches to coach? I know you bring on a number of great coaches at the high school level, but it's got to be a tough thing to manage, but you've done a great job with it. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky because really, I, I think every single coach that we have is, was a former player of you know, Dave's or myself or Sean, or are we, a coaching friend and when when I first got started back in 2004 I brought in all the guys that I knew I was coaching with Manzelli at Weymouth High so I brought in all the guys that I was coaching against that I knew and that had the same philosophies and it's more of an old school approach we're pretty we're pretty demanding on the kids and we push them pretty hard and and everyone's the same so and we we train from November to March in eight or seven eight locations mm -hmm. and yeah that's tough to manage because but what we like about it is we have certain guys that run point at each location and we want it to be a little bit different. So we're not giving them a script, so to say, because we want, we, when kids are going all these different places, we want it to be a little bit different. Right. We want those guys to bring their own yeah. drills and stuff. And, and we just, we're, again, the philosophy has to be on stick skills in fundamental. We, we don't even, we, we, we push it so much that when kids make our club and we have tryouts in August and they make the club. They don't even find out what team they're on until April because we just want it to be like, just come here and we want the main focus to be on development, know what team you're on, just getting better. We train all the kids by grade together and it's, it's huge. I think that's really the secret to the, our, our success really is the players, the parents and the coaches all being on the same page, which is hard. It's, it's tough to get everybody on the same page, but we're lucky that that happens.
I think it's great you're able to do that, not select the teams until the spring. I think some of the smaller clubs aren't able to do that because we don't have as, as many players. But I think that if everyone could do that, they would they would do it. And the other nice thing about your training is the seven, eight different locations, those kids can go to any of those locations, right? Well, we, we, I think we did the math one time. And, and if you had a chauffeur, you could go to 90 practices wow. in the winter. If you went to your age group each night, it was offered in a different region. But we, we've evolved to a situation where as you like, uh, the, the beltway traffic can be pretty tough around five to seven o'clock when guys are traveling. And, and Danny brought it up probably about five years ago where we said, we really want to be able to offer skills within 30 minutes of, of all of our hotbeds, quote unquote hotbeds. And I always make a comment that in our years of, of growing up, one of my favorite things about our club is our diversity and the group of kids we have from all, all over the, the region, which has been really, it's a treat because you do get a lot of different flavors and the kids come in and they build a tremendous amount of camaraderie. And uh, I think it really shows in that final product when you put them on the field and they play together. It's really, it's huge. And, and there, there are a lot of people that shoot, shoot holes in the model in terms of like club lacrosse. And I'm sure you've heard it too, but anybody, I would challenge anybody to come come to one of these tournaments where we're playing another region when it's Long Island versus Boston or Baltimore versus Boston. And it's pretty intense. Yeah. I've witnessed this a number of times, believe me. And your teams are very, very competitive and well coached. And yeah, I mean, I saw them playing Florida too. And we've played you a few times. You guys have done a great job. Really have. Thanks. Thank you. How did you guys manage to grow to the point where you have the, I believe you have the most players like youth to high school in the, in your program than any other club program in New England. How did, how did you accomplish that? What were some of the things that, that you did to grow in the early stages that you see paying off today? In that, in that first year of tryouts back in 2004, it was a little bit different. Um, you didn't have, you didn't, people weren't using the website and internet as much. So I, we had to do advertisement in newspapers and, and I was going to sub shops and dropping off flyers. And, and I remember being at the field, it was the old fields at Thayer Academy. That's now the hockey rink. And I was probably there at 6 AM. Say we started the trout at 9 AM and I had no idea because it was mail-in registration. I had no idea who was going to show up. <laughs> it was, it was so stressful because you put the money down and you hope people are going to come. We had about 128 kids, 130 kids try out for five teams and we took roughly we probably took about 60 we put about 50 percent of them and that that's basically the model that we've used today so so each team only probably had 10 kids and the coach is like what are we going to do and i'm like well it's it's august and so we don't really need to put the teams together till the summer so we're just gonna we're gonna just find the rest of the kids and we just want the right kids and that's always been the approach that we've taken that we we have around 1500 kids try out every every year and We've never exceeded 700 total from third grade to, to high school. And, and I think that's really our success. It's more about, we, we, let the, we let the talent per grade dictate what we're going to take. For example, like third grade obviously is a new grade every single year. Some years we have one third grade team, some, some years we have four. And it's not really, it's not something like math where we're saying, hey, we need to fill these spots. It's, we just let the talent determine how many kids we're going to take. And I would, I would just add that our, our, our tryouts are when we have kids come up to us, ask us what's, what's the key to making the team. And we're pretty basic. If you're hungry and you hustle and you work hard and it's in our, it's in our mission statement, we're a palms down, can do 
mentality, lunch pail, cliche, but it is very true. And, and we've stuck to that. The, I guess the harder part is we've, we've had tremendous success over the years developing young players that, I mean, we, we, we kind of make fun of ourselves and I'll throw myself under the bus. We had a player and, and I'll leave him anonymous, but you know, I wanted to cut him four years in a row. And Dan would look at me and say, what about this guy? And he'd give me an example of a guy two, three years prior. And you're, I'm like, hi, oh, you're right. He's an, he's amazing. Great kid. Love him. And okay, let's hang on to him. And we, we, we keep grinding and the guy keeps showing up and he, that's the big thing. You have to show up because nothing's mandatory. We'd be, it'd be impossible to do that with all the other commitments that, that these young players have. This player kept showing up, kept showing up. And all of a sudden he's probably one of our top four attackmen and ended up going to college. And uh, he's, He's playing as a sophomore at a fantastic school. He's going to get a great education. And you look at that and you're like, it, it, it's hard to say to a, a player, a young player who's got that fire and you can see it in his eyes and he's hungry and he shows up to everything. It's hard to say you're not good enough. So uh, we see that a lot. We get a lot of, we're fortunate, really blessed in terms of the guys who come out and play for our club and work hard and they, they miss a pass and they come over and you're like, what happened? And they smile and they're like, I missed it. And you just kind of like, yeah. And you just, you got to love it. So you just embrace it and say, we'll get the next one. And you move on. So that's what, that's what we do. Speaking of multi-sport athletes, I know Sean played football. Sean Morris, hockey, was a very good hockey player. Lacrosse, you were a multi-sport athlete. Dave, you were a multi-sport athlete. And I know your message to the players, you have a lot of multi-sport athletes. I mean, just give me your take on, it seems like down in Maryland and maybe Long Island, lacrosse has become like their number one sport and it's lacrosse, 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 but you're finding a lot of success. And I think kids in New England are playing multiple, be a multi-sport athlete and going on and being very good lacrosse players as well. Dave? Well, I find that probably the single biggest benefit to that multi-sport athlete. And, and by the way, I have a son right now He's in the middle of it. He's playing basketball, varsity basketball at Belmont Hill. And it's, it's really hard and it's another skilled sport and he loves it and he wants to win and he wants to compete. And, but then he comes home and he's like, you could tell he's nervous. He's like, he gets home after skills. And he kind of says to me like, what, what am I supposed to do? And, and I don't actually have the right answer either. We're just kind of like, well, he's competing and, and he's working hard and he's doing all the things that we ask for. So I got to support it. And I think it's great. I also think that there's this, this, this pendulum swings both ways, but at the end of the day, I know there's one thing that's really, really clear to us. And when we go on the road and compete, especially at our high school level, a lot of coaches come up and their comment is, I love the way you guys compete. And we might lose a game 10, seven. And Team 91 slick and the ball's moving really fast and they score easy goals. And you're kind of like frustrated. You don't know how to, you, where do you start in terms of like winning that game? And at the end of the day, I don't know. Like I, 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 I talk to college guys and they're like, who cares? Your guys compete so hard and they go out and they win every ground ball. They make the next pass. And then your attackman hits the goalie in the chest on the doorstep. So, you know, there's a two goal swing and you end up losing 10, seven. And at the end of the day, you're like, oh man. And I, I called Danny and 
and Sean and I'm like, oh man, we lost 10-7. Actually, I'll fall on the sword. I lost probably my worst game ever last year in the semifinals, the NLF 16 to two, was it? Yeah. And I, I didn't know what to do. It was early first half. And I was like, I look at Bruce Chaninchuk, who's another veteran lacrosse player from Johns Hopkins, he lives in Natick and, and he looks, he's like, how do, how do we coach him? Like, what do we do now? And it was, uh, it was one of those things. It was just, they're a really good team. You ran into a buzzsaw, but our guys they competed. They continued to compete and they worked hard and they left it out there and we scored a goal late in the game and the guys were jumping around and we were kind of like, okay, it's 16 to two. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's what you want these guys to do, right? To compete. The calls of you played at a high level, compete. You know, you're not going to win every game. You're not going to lose every game if you go out there and compete every single day. Well, you know this as well, Jack. A lot of these college guys, they want to see the potential. They want to see the, the raw clay, if you will. You got to have the certain skill sets. You have to have the athleticism, but they're going to take a player and plug them into a spot on their squad in their recipe. And they need to see that that, that player is coachable and is hungry and still has a passion to be great. And I think that's the important thing to take away from a lot of this because you know, there are guys that are, have been playing since four or five years old. They get to college and they're a little burnt out. Right. I play so much lacrosse and yeah. I don't get a reset. And that's where I think we, we've kind of gone full circle, but that's where like that multi-sport athlete helps too. I agree. My thought on multi-sport athletes is a lot of these lacrosse players might be the best player on their lacrosse team, but if they play basketball or hockey, they might be the third line guy or the fourth line guy. So it's a give, gives them a different perspective on being a good teammate, right? Because you want to be nice to the 12th or 13th guy on the bench on the lacrosse field, like the captain on the hockey team's being nice to you, even though you're the fourth liner. You know what I mean? It's, yep. it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. And again, you guys have done a great job with your teams. And obviously you guys uh, compete like you, you compete. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I witnessed it. I had a chance. Actually, I wanted to bring this up, Dan. I coached Dan. In the Bay State games. Yep. What year was that, Dan? Oh, my gosh. That was probably, is that 95, maybe? Yeah, a long yeah. time. <laughs> Nuts. Yeah. And yeah. then I used to play, played against Dan a couple of times, too, and he was a pain in the neck playing defense. I think my arms are still sore from him whacking me. <laughs> but the Tony Manzelli was a great ambassador for the game. Weymouth High School, you played for him. Just, just talk a little bit about Tony and, and the influence he had on you and his philosophy. And uh, I'm sure that you carry that along in the program at Laxachusetts. I got to know Tony. He's just a wonderful guy. Yeah, absolutely. So Tony Manzelli started Weymouth lacrosse, Weymouth, started coaching lacrosse at Weymouth North. He, he brought lacrosse to Weymouth North High School in 1971. And I had the opportunity to play for him for four years, graduated in 91. And that was Weymouth High, my senior year of the school combined. And I, I, I've talked about Manzelli so much that and I know Dave met him over the years at some, was probably the peak camp that Manzelli used to work in. Right. But we, we talk about Manzelli every single day. There's, there's 11 coaches in Laxusas that all played for Manzelli. And, and really, Manzelli's, everything that we've talked about, compete, blue-collar mentality, hard work, toughness, being a great teammate, being a great person, is everything I, I learned from Manzelli. And, and when Dave and I, we were teammates at Bridgeton Academy. That's how Dave and I met. And when we would share stories, I, I started talking about Manzelli. And, and his dad was a huge influence on a lot of players in, in Baltimore. And when we would share the stories, we'd, we'd laugh because we literally sounded like we were talking about the same person. Yeah. And, and 
And so I, we bring, we bring, Man, Manzelli is, is in everything we do in Massachusetts. And I was lucky enough a few weeks ago to attend the Weymouth Hall of Fame dinner. And Manzelli was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously, he passed away in 2006 of cancer, but his family was there to accept the war, award. And I saw his wife, Jean, and his, his kids. And it, it was really special. It was really emotional. I mean, I, I love the guy. He, he was at my wedding. And, and, and basically, everything that we do is, it comes from him. And he was, he was a true ambassador of the sport. And mm. he would leave our practice at Weymouth. And then he'd go down the street and help John Todd at Hingham if John needed help with a ride or a man up play. He was just that guy. And he would just, he'd grow the sport. And that's, that's what it was important. And, and that's what we're trying to do. And obviously, Dave, Sean, and I always talk, try what we can do to make the sport better in our region. And you mentioned it earlier, like, we love that. Like, we were the first to do the skills. And what's really awesome is like everyone's doing them now. So it's, it's nice that you can influence things that way. And, and I don't, I don't mean it in like a conceited way, but it's, but I see all these clubs that never did it and that now they're all doing it. And it's, and it's raising the level. Absolutely. you you mean your club program is looked upon as the standard, the, the, the program in New England, everybody's got their, their niche, but every follows your model and what you guys do with your teams and the tournaments and obviously I don't know if you want to talk about your tournament. We attend your tournament a lot. I mean, obviously, but the legacy tournament's a very good tournament. It's very well run. You have a lot of good coaches there. That's why we, we obviously it's local. So you don't have to travel very far. Ton of coaches there over 150, whatever, all different levels. Our kids get recruited from that tournament. And again, that's why we support the tournament, but I have nothing but very good things to say about it. Now, I don't know if you want to expand on the legacy program and, how you came up with that and, and uh, where it's headed. Well, I think, uh, geez, we're going in 10th year, I think, of legacy. And, and Dan and Sean and I talked about it. You just, just touched on it. Imagine if we could use our vehicle to bring some of these elite clubs from other regions here. And, and we originally pitched it. We're like, we have 15, 16 grass fields all in one location, which is now somewhat of an anomaly. There's probably only four facilities in the country like that, that you can actually get access to. And then we also, we're, we're in the hotbed of education. We have all these great schools right here with the NESCAC and the Ivy Leagues, mainly in New England, in the New England region. And then what, what has happened over the years, it's just continued to grow in terms of the competitive level of play, especially for the high school. And then we looked at a couple little metrics within the tournament and we talked to college guys and their comment to us was, I committed three players out of this event last year. And that really hit myself and, and Dan and Sean, because we were like, I mean, if, if, if a coach, a club coach like yourself comes to that event, obviously you might be a, a bad example because you're local, but you know, if a, if a club coach comes to that event and can commit that many players on a team, that makes it worth it. Absolutely. And especially considering the level of teams that are coming and attending, it's, and, and they like it too, because of the convenience of the event there, they can, they get a golf cart when they show up and they shoot over to a game and they can quickly catch the second half of another game. And that's really what they're trying to do. They're trying to maximize their efficiency in terms of seeing a lot of players, you know, from quite honestly, different regions, because we've also been pretty fortunate in a lot of the clubs that attend are clubs that aren't afraid to travel. So you've had West Coast Stars and True Illinois, True Michigan, Resolute, some New Jersey. These guys are, they're 
it's also unique too, because they understand the significance of we're going up to legacy because we are front row with all these great schools. And we don't, we haven't really talked about it yet, but that's really our goal. We are still a non-revenue sport and we're, we're trying to help our players get good enough to go to a great school and compete at the next level. And then ultimately we use a phrase four for 40, instill the work ethic and the things that are going to help kids get a great job and be a good parent and good husband and ultimately big pay. Yeah. And we don't, we don't make a lot of money playing professional lacrosse today and back in the day. Right. We're going to take a quick break, but there's more Chasing the Goal podcast on the way. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Lachsachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Lachsachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to Lachsachusetts.com. That's Lachsachusetts.com. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and LaxJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to LaxJournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on club lacrosse, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to LaxJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. This winter, Piatelli Lacrosse has a great way for you to stay in shape and play lacrosse. Kyle, yes. Yeah, starting in January, we have box lacrosse leagues for youth and high school. Players of all ages at two convenient locations in Agawam and Taunton, Massachusetts. The up-tempo pace of box lacrosse is an excellent way for players to learn to play faster and develop new skills that will make you more effective on the field in the spring. And coaches will be provided for each game, and all players will take part in mini-clinic prior to the game where we will work on different box lacrosse skills. Make the most of your offseason, play some box lacrosse. This program is open to all interested players. For more information on our Winter Box League, visit www.piatellilacrosse.com. I, I got a question for you, Dave. I watched you play, obviously, when you were at Brown and then when you were with the Boston team. And you weren't the fastest guy, but you were big, strong, very skilled, and you had a very tough 
mentality when you played. You were one of the toughest players I've seen play. But how did you uh, find the time and space to get your shot off? And I'm sure you teach your players that. But is that something you can teach a player? Obviously, you were mentally tough, the mentality part. I don't know if you can teach that. Maybe you can expand on that. But you were great at, at finding space for a big guy and not, not a really quick, fast guy. And you were able to get your shot off, and it was a very good shot. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind comments. It's, it seems like fleeting now. It's, it's very yeah. far away. It's further away now than ever. <laughs> so I'll take it. Probably blushing, probably a little red. But it's a great point because we talk about it a lot. And young players, they don't catch the ball loaded. And they catch the ball to pass the ball. And it's been every year we kind of have a common theme, like, hey, we got to do this better. We have to do this better. That's one of those things that needs to be a staple with every program. It's a player needs to catch the ball, shoot first mentality. And that's footwork. That's your, your trunk. You want to make sure that your body is perpendicular to your target. If the goal is the target, which it should be. And that way, like, hey, a defenseman made a mistake. He's two steps late. You can get the shot off. I do think a lot of it, though, too, Jack, is it can goes back a little bit back to the sticks. Sticks have developed a lot. I think kids, yeah. they, they can't get the ball in and out of their stick as quickly. But I, also, I do think it's a little bit lost. It's a lost art, making sure you're catching the ball ready to shoot first. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think in order to beat the top goalies in, in, in college lacrosse today, it's not how fast you shoot the ball. It's how quick you release the ball. Right. Absolutely. And your you great scores. I, I, I tell the kids all the time and I'm, I know you guys do is guys, it's not about shooting it hard. It's about putting the ball in the net, right. And getting it, the, the ball out of your stick as, as, as quick as possible. And you obviously you did, did a great job with, I had a great career at Brown, Brown and with the, the Boston Cannons. Thank you. Yeah. Don't, don't you think though, a lot of kids, do you see a jack? Like a lot of kids, just everyone wants to shoot sidearm now. Yeah. Drives you crazy. Must drive you crazy. Because you were over over the top guy too. I mean, you look at you look at great shooters, and and I always I always call on Gary Gate, who I still think is probably the best player to ever play the game. And he would do his shooting clinics back in the day, and you'd sit there and watch. And I was I tell these guys about it one day. It was like he does all this stuff. He has his box fake and his elbow up and his wrist, but he puts the ball in the same place every time. He puts it off hip every time. And you talk to players and we, we, every year we bring something to skills that we're a little more like adamant about. And this year has been when we're doing shooting, there needs to be a tarp in the goal. And we're, we're, we're focusing a tarp or targets. We use all different types of training tools to help. I got to tell you, I had a little bit of a revelation two weeks ago. We're doing a drill and I put the, or the old school orange cone in the low corners. I put it in the net. And I asked the guys, I want to hear that sound. If I'm over here, we got three goals going and guys are all shooting and you hear the sound, you know, the guy hit it. Yeah. He hit it. And you look up and I told him, I said, you hit it. I want to hear about it. Well, let me know. And they, they're cat calling and whoa, and I hit it. It was one of those things where, and here's another concept you, you'll probably appreciate. A lot of players default to just shooting at the goalie's feet. And you're talking about one of the easiest saves to make for, especially young boys, they want to go down. They want to cower and protect themselves and boom, they absorb it in the chest and it's a save. And you ask the player, why'd you shoot it low? Um, my coach, my coach says, shoot it low. I was like, okay, there's, think about what low means. And you shoot it low in the air for the net. That's a great shot. You shoot it low at the goalie's feet. It's right. a save. 
Yeah, and how many coaches over the years when I played is like bounce it, bounce it, bounce it, but they never told you where to put it or how to shoot, right? Just yep. bounce it, bounce it. You never knew where it was going. Yeah. It's funny you yep. said when, when when Dave first started coaching in 2009, um Dave's like, what is with the bounce shots in Massachusetts? Like, yeah. like yeah. being a ball because he's from Baltimore yeah. and he's like, why is everyone bouncing yeah. ball? Well, you, you, we would go to the field. You go to the field and shoot with your buddies. I always made a joke. I'm like, you go to the you go to the field and shoot bounce shots? No. You're going top cheddar every time. You're going corners. You're, you're like you're putting bottles in the corners and trying to hit the bottles. And I was like, all these guys shoot bounce shots and they miss. Hey guys, we forgot Kyle is still with us. Kyle, how's oh, yeah. going? Hey, uh, hey guys, can I ask a question? <laughs> Sorry, that's all. That would be great. No worries. I'm not the host or anything. You will hide underneath the Christmas tree. I was, I was waiting, man. You guys do think you're having a great time in Little Dallas. Uh, uh, sorry. It's all good. It's all good. It's he, the he, the he, hit a, he hit a soft spot. You can tell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kyle, the show's all yours from here on in, all right? Yeah, it's the it's the jack tactics on praise the get. So we do a one-on-one. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. We know what you do. Well, let's, that's let's the this back. is the last time you're not coming in the studio. That's pretty cool. It's got to be because I'm going to lose my job. Let's go back to, to Legacy real quick because I, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast, but I talk about it to a lot of people that ask me about the summer. And this past summer, the best game that I saw on the sideline was Massachusetts Black versus New Hampshire Tomahawks Purple. And it ended in a tie. And it was the most intense, like coaches screaming, kids screaming, balls flying into the net, goalies jumping out, making diving saves. It yeah. had everything. It was, it was, and I've been on a lot of sidelines. I've coached in a state championship game. I've been on NCAA championship sidelines it was very close and i think that's due to the intensity that both teams kind of like raised in each other because the first couple minutes were like oh it's like most club games where like everyone's like feeling each other out okay where's my matchup where are we going and then it just opened up and it was like thoroughbreds lambing into each other and it was both teams trying to rise to the other and that last goal the last two minutes was both teams doing everything they could just to get a shot. And I think I think you guys got the last shot and it just missed by like this much, if I remember correctly, on the far side, on the far pipe. How do you replicate that intensity? How do you get that as many times as you can? Because I think one of the things about club ball that a lot of people talk negatively about is, well, who cares if they win? Oh, like, whatever. I don't care. I mean, sometimes I do that when I'm doing evals. I'm like, I actually don't care who wins because that's not my job to care. I'm not a, and a college coach is kind of doing the same thing. They care about the compete level. They care about all that. But how do you get the kids to have that intensity that they already have for their high school team after their high school season's over and you replicate it and multiply it? How do you do that? A lot, a lot of that's happens in our skills like something's just as simple as like a lot of kids will drop a pass in practice there's no big deal they just go pick up another one you drop a ball in practice it's a turnover and and we get on the kids like we make it a very intense we're yelling at them and we're explaining to them like all right you drop the pass and they almost just look at you like yeah and you're like that's a turnover that's a goal and 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 it just starts with something as simple as that and then even what dave mentioned a little while ago where he was doing his shooting drill in sudbury one of the things that we when we meet at the end of our program year we're like all right what what are the, the things that we have to improve upon its skills and like skills are so important to us because that's where we really build everything 
because it's it's again it's all fundamentals it's nothing to do with teamwork we we worry about that when we get outside in the spring and summer so we really have to capitalize on that time that we have and the four months goes really fast we're like man when our guys shoot and score sometimes they don't even seem excited and so that dave incorporated that into a drill he's like if you hit that cone i want you like like woohoo like get excited and pumped and we're trying to just and that's all passion right so that's passion and understanding it's a big deal to drop a pass and you know it's gonna it's gonna have consequences i don't know if you, you want to follow up more i, I agree one hundred percent i just i also think you picked a a unique game in that there's no love loss between those two i mean two very proud clubs local, yeah i knew that too we're, we're right here <laughs> yeah. and and those guys all know each other that's the other thing that i think is cool is is like a lot of these guys develop relationships with other players from other clubs throughout their high school careers and like new hampshire tomahawks play bishop guerton all of our better massachusetts high schools play bishop guerton up in new hampshire so they know each other and that that's a a terrific rivalry but i agree with dan i think a lot of it comes from the energy and and that enthusiasm and and yeah we we did talk about like effort being the the primary goal winning maybe secondary but we're talking about young men here with a lot of pride and we had in most of our huddles with boston pride and having that that work ethic and pride in your game so individually you go out and you don't want to drop a pass i talk about that a lot on your way home think about how many passes you dropped next time you come try to cut that in half and make that a pride thing in your in yourself and then they bring it to the Kyle, it's it's such a great question because i was thinking about more about it and it goes it goes beyond that because we're on the road quite a bit with even with our youth teams and a couple of years ago we came together as a program the coaches and our younger players especially the youth guys we would put so much emphasis on all right, we got to beat Long Island Express and we, we got to beat 91 and we got to beat the Crabs and, right. and leading it, it. We almost, so then like we, we'd play a local club and they'd be like, yeah, and, and sometimes we'd lose because we weren't competing. Like, you know what I mean? And, and now, like, like we were saying earlier, the competition in Massachusetts has gotten so much stronger over the years. If, we, if we're not competing hard and we're not playing passionately, we're going to lose and we can lose to anybody. And and those, it almost became like our home, our hometown games didn't seem important to them, and that was that was on us. We we put so much emphasis on all these other clubs, so we changed our our mentality a couple of years ago, where we said first and foremost you got to win your state, and we go, we 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 hit the kids with that all the time. You got to win your state. Like I don't want. Let's not talk about ninety one express this one that one. Win your state, and then we'll talk about everything else. Yeah, I think one of the the follow-ups to that question too, just from me, coaching background, what is the difference between coaching high school and coaching club to you? What What is the one thing that you think is different? What I like about it is there's, we take the, the strategy out of it. So we don't have D-middies. We don't have a man-up team. We don't have a man-down. We don't have a first midline. We don't have a first attack unit. We just play everybody. And what what kind of amazes me in, 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 in club lacrosse and I don't think it happens in Massachusetts. I don't know if you, when, you know, some, I won't say who, but you know, you go play one of these clubs and they play half their team against you. Like it's, it's crazy. You know, you'll play a club and you're like, oh my God, they're only playing half their team. And this, these kids travel the whole way here and their parents are paying money and I, I don't get it. And, but I think that's the biggest difference. I think the biggest difference is we play everybody and everyone plays a fair amount of time. And in, in our program, we tell the coaches, listen, that's your team. Like that's your roster. You play them. Unless a kid's not giving the effort, that'd be the only reason he wouldn't play the same amount of time. And they, 
we tell them like in the last three or four minutes of the game if you want to make an adjustment that's it like other than that you're playing everybody obviously in high school you're maybe you're doing a zone defense or you're shutting somebody off or like you're doing whatever you can to win where our style in Massachusetts is we're just playing the game and our style we're going to lose sometimes and we're okay with that wouldn't you agree both you agree though that your players let's say you're one of your teams the high school team the players are all there because they really want to be there and they love the game. The Hill and there, even though they're great programs and you have great players, not every single player at those high schools, lacrosse is their top priority, right? Where your players that are on that field, lacrosse is their passion, their love. Yep, exactly. I totally agree. Absolutely. Well, we always say this, if you don't love it, you're going to hate yeah, it because right. you grind. And, and if, you, if, if you're one of the guys that's committed to what we do, it's hard. We have these guys come through the program eight years and we kind of, we have a senior night and it's just to kind of show our appreciation to them and their commitment to that, that grind, that work ethic that really makes you a better player. Yeah. I, um, I, I saw some videos on that and that was done at Gillette, right? That mm -hmm. was well done. Correct. Very oh, well that's done. an awesome night. Yeah, that's great. I just want to touch on your question too, because the high school club thing and I think, I think it's really like Danny nailed it. I just would add that it gets lost in the, the, the shuffle, but club lacrosse is a development based entity and we're, we're trying to make players better so that they can step up second line midi. I want to be a first line midi. I want to do these things. They set goals for themselves. We talk about goal setting all the time as a program. And so we do, you, you're going to get on the field. You need to go out and make plays and you probably, you, you could fail. You might not be. That, that marquee matchup and you go out against a guy who's an all-American pole and he takes the ball away, okay, well, what'd you do wrong? Let's analyze that, move on. Whereas that doesn't necessarily happen. That, that player might not even see the field for a high school team. Yeah, I think one of the things I wanna, wanna ask you, and I, I like to talk to club coaches about this, right? What do you do when a kid thinks they're a division one player and not, and you have to be the one to break it to them? What is that conversation like for you and your program? And what is it like to go through it? You, you, you have to tell them. We, we do a significant amount behind the scenes in terms of the college recruiting process. And we work hand in hand with, there's three of us directly related to it. But I, I mean, it takes a village. Every single coach in our program, specifically in the high school group, but even, even our, our youth coaches who have relationships with college guys, it's, a, it's constantly phone calls texts, picking up the phone, making that connection with a, with a coach for a, a, a potential student athlete. And so I, I think that's a big part of it, but it's, I mean, there's, there's also the numbers game, which a lot of people don't talk about. You, there's only 77 division one schools. And then you have another 160 division three schools. You have 72, I, I, give or take a division two schools. And so it's, it's a numbers game. And as our sport has grown, there simply aren't enough spots in Division One lacrosse. And then add the idea that Jack brought up, like Thayer and Belmont Hill. You go to high academic schools, and these, these players have a goal set in their mind where they would like to matriculate. And that's really important, too. You, got, you have how many parents? You have double legacies up here, Harvard, Dartmouth, Brown, these schools. So that is ultimately that, that, that player's goal. There, there are, it's a recipe for it can be really tough to navigate. And, and then I always say too, I, I'd say this too, I was blue in the face. You're like the NESCAC is a division three level league. Every single one of those teams could play division one lacrosse. 
they are getting Division One athletes now because there is an absolute fortune in athletes out there that can play the game. So the question really is, is like finding the right fit and the right school. Sometimes that's a really tough conversation. You have players that are like, I want to go to UNC. You know what? I do too, Kyle. <laughs> That'd and, be great. And, Dude, that's and I, Unfortunately, you know, you're five seven. Yeah, right. No. Well, not not necessarily just that, but you know, and and then you you factor in, okay, and you do matriculate at UNC. They have sixty five guys on the roster. Or do you? You're going to go there. You want to you want to be a sweatshirt. You want to play because you only get four years. You only get four years at this. Well, non COVID time, but we have these conversations with players. So yeah, like there, it's a great question, and I think honestly. You could do a whole nother podcast with absolutely. multiple club oh, guys here. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and we just discussed like yeah. the idea of a division one, two, two and three, three. No lacrosse question. player. And I'm a division three guy guy. You're a division three guy guy, Kyle. You went to Clark. He went to Clark if you don't know that. And yeah. Danny's a division three yeah. guy. Yep. Yep. But you know, I had a great experience playing division three lacrosse, had aspirations to play division one, but you know, a number of different situations, but it, it all worked out, had a lot of fun, and I played. Question I have for you guys. My last question is the challenge I find is players going into these top programs and really understanding what they're signing up for when they land on, on campus. I don't know. I, I haven't found a, a formula to, to really prepare them or understand it's much different. Obviously I went to college a long time ago, but it's probably much different than you were at Brown and you were at Bridgewater, right? Mass. You yep, mass Boston. Boston. I mean, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So What's the answer? Do you have an answer for that? I mean, what do you tell your kids? Like you're going to, not only is it going to be tough to get on the field, but you're going to have 10 weeks of fall ball. You're going to have one scrimmage. You're going to be in the weight room. You're going to be watching film. You've never done this before. How do you prepare for it? Well, I guess there's multiple, there's multiple modes here. The one, the thing I like the most is, is when I have the conversation with parents and because we do one-on-one talks in January with every, every player, parent, what, what's your goal, what are your aspirations moving, being here now? We went through the fall, et cetera. And a lot of, a lot of parents will say, well, we're really interested in division three, a little bit less time commitment. And that's where like, I dropped the mic. I'm like, yeah. music to your ears, <laughs> right? Uh, well, I'm, I'm also like, well, I don't know. Have you, have you checked out like some oh, of these right. C3 yeah, programs? Yeah, yeah, right, 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 Cause right, I'm right, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, because yeah. you got yeah. a, you got a yeah. really, really good yeah. school. Okay. And you got a coach who wants to win, who's protecting his job and his family. And yeah, they're, they're having captain's practice, but he's in the window yeah, and he's yeah. given the plan and here's this and this, and you got the weight room, you know, how many guys you're like, oh, you got to fall in love with the weight room. Guy shows up and when you're kind of like, have you been in the weight room? Yeah, coach, I'm lifting them. I'm, I'm benching, buys and tries every day. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right. And you're just kind of like, well, I don't yeah. know if that's going to get it done anymore. So these conversations are incredible, but Keisha Walker said it the best. She came to our senior night and she's obviously affiliated with our program for a long time. And she said, whatever you're doing now, apply it times three. And now I would also buffer that with, she's dealing with some of the elite level players in the country. She's right. probably recruiting right. 15 players and getting 10 of them. Right. And those girls are absolutely amazing. They've been in the in the finals the last I mean, five, six years. Only team to be in the finals the last five, six years. So when she says that, all it's a, it's a, there's a hush over the crowd. And you're kind of like, yeah, she's right. And, and she's right. And you might even times five. So and it's a job. The kids have to know it. They're, they're signing up for a job in four years. And 
Oh, and by the way, this Saturday, you have to give a tour to a recruit or the recruit has to stay with you for the weekend. So the one weekend you might have free, you can go home. No, you got to stay on campus and, 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 uh, work with a recruit, right? right. Yep. I didn't, I, I didn't have that problem. Pete, Pete only did, gave me one recruit. <laughs> did you have film back then? Yeah, I, yeah I'm sure you did. Yeah. I, I mean, you, it's grainy. Yeah. It's yeah, grainy. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Didn't have I think, film. I think no, my last no. question just to, to wrap it up and I don't ask this of, of a lot of people, but I know that Jack and I are this. So I want to ask you if you're this, are you lifers in this, in this game? Like, is it, is it like, is it a life commitment for you to be developing players and, and being involved with lacrosse? Actually, if Sean Morris was here, we'd have to answer yes because because <laughs> the he, little boys. Yeah, he has a three-year-old and an eight-month-old, so he always kids with us. He's like, "Hey, I helped get your kids into college. You're gonna have to stick around for my." So, <laughs> so Dave and I like so we're the same age. We're both forty-nine. I'm like, eighteen more years. Like, <laughs> but I, Dave and I do joke about it all the time and. It, it gets to be a lot in your family. Jack, it's every weekend in the summer. You lose most of your summer. And, but I, I don't think you can be successful in this, in this world if, if you're not passionate about it and you don't love it. I'm lucky I do. I have two jobs that I love, being a fireman and coaching lacrosse. I, 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 think, I think I'm in for a long haul because I, I don't know what else I would do, to be honest with you. What do you think, Dave? I 100%. I mean, I have kids, and, and it's scary because my kids are like, oh, like, when I graduate from college, we're going to keep doing this, right? We're always kind of like, oh boy. And you kind of like get punched in the stomach and lose the win. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things like you walk into a room of your peers and they're talking about the stock market and they're talking about baseball and they're talking about football and they're talking about all these things. And you can dabble in it a little bit, but then you talk about lacrosse. Now you're in my pool. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like everybody has opinions and all these things. And I'm, I'm cool with that. I love that. I love it because it's one of the cool things about our sport and the growth. And I see a guy run a drill that I've run a hundred times and he does it a little different and I love it even more. Yeah. And I think like Danny said, the passion's still there. I'm fired up. I love seeing kids succeed. I think it's the most important thing with what we do is when you see a kid succeed, when you see Will Bowen named defenseman of the year, John Sexton defenseman of the year, you see these guys competing and making the All-American list in college, your son doing so well at Cornell. I mean, to me, even Jax, who was a guy we competed against and beat us, to me, that's a victory for all of us. And yeah, that's what's great cool. about this sport. I think it's it, a great note to end on. Thanks, you guys, again, for coming in and putting up with Jack. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much, hey, Kyle. Uh, Kyle. Thanks, I, Kyle. I'm waiting for my grandkids to come along. Uh, until, until then, oh, I'm man. not going to give it up. <laughs> well, if, if that doesn't happen, I'll, I'll, I'll take over for you. Don't worry. I'm done. <laughs> right? Come on. All right. Thanks again for listening to New England Cross Journals, Chasing the Goal podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time.